You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. There are times when we get gifts that are unexpected and maybe not in a great way. And I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking about different examples that maybe I had given or had been given to me. Uh, And then I remembered that we live stream our service and thought, oh, I don't think I'll use any of those examples. Um, Just kidding, kind of. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 2, or excuse me, yeah, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And we've been using this passage as our text for the last couple of weeks. And when they had come into the house, talking about the wise men, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the gift of gold, a gift that was often used and reserved for royalty. And this idea that the gift of gold designated Jesus as, as the king. And then last week we talked about the gift of frankincense, this incense that was used in the worship of the divine. And especially even to the Jews, frankincense was reserved for the worship of Jehovah God. And so uh, it makes sense that, that the gifts of gold and frankincense would be given. Gifts given to God become man. Gifts given to the king. The king of the Jews, but not only that, but we know the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But also... They gave him the gift of myrrh. And that gift was different. It was unusual. It didn't seem to fit. If if they, you know, to us, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, outside of the Christmas story, we may not have a lot of reference to it. But, uh, you know, if, if they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they did the Sesame Street, you know, one of these things is not like the other. You with me? It would have been myrrh. That would have been the one. Because gold was for a king. Frankincense was in worship to God. But myrrh was typically used in cleansing, but then in embalming, related to death. And so it doesn't seem to fit here until we understand That Jesus came to be a sacrifice for us. We know that the king of the Jews was born in Bethlehem in a stable and laid in a manger. And yet he never in that earthly life ascended to a throne. He is the king of kings. But he did not come to set up his kingdom. Rather he came to sacrifice himself for us. Jesus was born to die. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6 it says, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. It was always God's plan 
that Christ would come and sacrifice himself. Just like it is his plan that he will return and set up his kingdom. But he came first, not as the king and the lion, but he came as the sacrificial lamb. And the reason he had to come that way and the reason that he had to die is for us. In Isaiah chapter 53, in verse number 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ, in his death, bore our sins upon himself. And he's the only one that could do so. Because it required a perfect, a holy sacrifice. And so, even if we were to die, as a result of our own sins, we're not not a sufficient sacrifice because we're not holy. For us to pay the price for our own iniquity and sin requires eternal judgment. And for us to avoid that, God placed our sin on Christ. He bore our iniquity. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says this, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. I wonder what Peter was thinking about when he wrote that. I wonder if Peter thought back to that night in which he was betrayed. Right before he hung on that tree, as Peter described it, before he was crucified, it was on that very night that Peter had denied Christ. The one who followed him, the one who a few hours earlier at the Last Supper said, Lord, I will never deny you. I will never turn from you. And he denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times. Overwhelmed with guilt and bitterness and shame. And that's not the end of the story. Because Christ hung on that tree and he bore in his body our sins and to demonstrate his ability to sacrifice for us Three days later, he rose from the grave, showing victory over sin and death. And then, on a lake shore, he restored Peter unto himself. Demonstrated to him that forgiveness, that restoration. So that Peter would go on and be this great preacher of the gospel and he could proclaim the good news to tens of thousands of men and women. And he could write, and it's preserved for us, that he bore in his own body our sins when he sacrificed himself on the cross. Through his suffering, we have forgiveness We read out of Isaiah 53 that we're scattered, that we have turned everyone, that God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. But in Isaiah 53 and verse 5 it says, 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was for our forgiveness, for our healing. This was why he came. And myrrh is the gift that foreshadows the sacrifice of Jesus. It's certainly a gift that would have stood out as being a little bit different. There are two other instances in the Gospels where myrrh is is referenced. And both of them relate to the sacrifice and the death of Jesus Christ. The first is found in Mark chapter 15, where it says they brought him, talking about Jesus, to the place Golgotha, which is translated place, uh, place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they, desi- they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. They tried to give Jesus myrrh on that day. Not as they worshipped him as the wise men did. Not as they rejoiced at his birth and, and offered great treasures, but to try to dull his pain as he was going to be killed but he refused to drink it. Myrrh can be rendered, it's a gum-like substance, but it can be rendered down into a liquid form as well. And then myrrh is referenced in John chapter 19, in verse 38. After this, after the death of Christ, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury These two men, both of them prominent Jews, both of them who had had encounters of Jesus. Nicodemus first came to Jesus by night. Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Jesus, but in secret. And seeing him die on the cross, they desired to care for his body, and they took myrrh along with other spices, and they wrapped his body in strips and they used these spices as a way to not necessarily preserve the body, but to help in the decomposition process. It would help it not stink so bad. The reality is that the myrrh was not needed. Because his body would not decompose. His body was bruised and it was beaten. His body was was punctured by nails 
And it was mocked and it was scorned and he was killed. But his body did not decompose because he rose again from the dead. And it is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as much as his birth that we celebrate at Christmas time. And you might say, well, that seems like a, not a happy ending, but a sad ending. That this divinely inspired birth, this, this young woman who was, who was uh, by the Spirit made, made pregnant, who, who God sent His only Son, it seems like His sacrifice, His death, would be a sad ending, not a happy one. But it was required that we might live. Jesus was born to die, but he died that we might live. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. What a tremendous picture is painted there. That God would send his son as a sacrifice for us. That we might be adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. Because we could never hope to come to God on our own. And so God sent his son to come to us. You see, this is necessary because we are all sinners. Now, we say that, and we, we use terms like, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and we sing songs about that. But we are all sinners. Let me help you here a little bit. You know how many sins it takes to make you a sinner? One. The same number of murders it takes you to make you a murderer. One. And what we do is we forget the foundation upon which the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is built. Because even though we know we're all sinners, we start to think, yeah, but I'm less of a sinner than somebody else. But you know how much of your sin is required for the sacrifice of Jesus? Just one sin. You understand that it doesn't matter how good or how bad you are, we are all sinners separated from God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9 says this, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we had previously changed, uh, charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Now Paul is writing here and he's talking about the distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Jews are Jews. They're, they're descendants of Abraham. Gentiles are everybody else. That's how, they, that's how they divided it up. It's like Jews, everybody else. Didn't matter. Sometimes they call them Greeks, sometimes they call them Romans, but it was really just not a Jew. 
And the Jews would say, we're God's chosen people. That's, what, that's how God had described them. And man, they ran with that. We're just the people that God likes better than everybody else. It's pretty good. I would like that. I am not Jewish. I told you guys, I, I, I mentioned it in a message. I, a couple of years ago, I got one of those ancestry kits. And I did that and sent it in. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll have a small little percentage of like something exotic. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, you're laughing. I'm telling you, it is the truth. It could have just come back white guy. Like that, all of my family was like English, French, like that's it. Just not even 1% of something, you know, nothing. No wonder I burned so easy. That's what I was thinking. It was, it was a little disappointing because I thought, surely I'm something special. Nope. Nothing. But the Jews, they were special. They were God's chosen people. But here Paul says, writing to the church at Rome, he says, we told you before, both Jews and Greeks they are all under sin. Yes, God loved the Jews and God, God gave a covenant to Abraham and he, and he sent, you know, through the line of David, he sent Jesus to be born and, and that was special, but that didn't do anything to help you with sin. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter whether you've been mostly good or really pretty bad. All of us are sinners. Paul would go on and write and say, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Listen, that translation is accurate. You go to the Greek, you want to know what it says? Nobody is righteous. None. You know what none means in the original? None. Not one. We are all under sin and we are all guilty. And Romans goes on and says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that we fall short. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've mentioned this before, but if you go back, we'll not take the time to look at the passage, but if you go back to Isaiah 6, you have this great vision that the prophet Isaiah has of God Almighty. It says he sits upon his throne and he's high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. There's thunders and there's lightnings and there's these creatures these angelic beings that fly around and they have six wings and with two they cover their face and with two they cover their feet and with two they fly and they fly around God exalted on his throne and as they do, they exclaim the dominant attribute of God Almighty. They cry out, holy, holy, holy holy 
is the Lord Almighty. God is a holy God. He is a perfect and a righteous God. So no wonder Paul would write in Romans 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the vision of God, and then there's you. Angels aren't flying around me and saying, holy, holy, holy. And I don't know everything you've ever done, but you know what? I don't see him flying around you either. But that's not what we do. We don't like that standard because none of us even come close to it. So we choose to reject that standard and we say, well, of course I'm not holy, but I'm better than that person. But that's not the standard. That's not what matters. What matters is God's standard. And it's holiness. It's righteousness. And we all fall short. But God gave the ultimate Christmas gift. Probably probably my favorite single verse in, in all of Scripture is in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 28, 23. See how important it is. I forget. For the wages of sin is death. It, it just, it puts us to its, as simply as it can. All of us have sinned and all of us have earned something because of that sin. That's what wages are. It's what you earn because of what you do, right? I was talking with someone this week about the very first job I ever had and how much I made an hour and I realized, oh, I'm old. But I would go and I would perform work and I would keep track of my hours and then you know what I expected? I expected to get paid. It's what I had earned. It was my wages. But all of us are sinners and the wages of sin is death. And it's not just physical death. It is eternal death and eternal judgment in hell. That's what the Bible is talking about here when it talks about death. And if it ended there, it would be utter hopelessness. But the sentence continues and says, but. The wages of sin is death, but. That's not the end. But there's a way out. But. God saw us in our hopelessness, and the gift of Jesus Christ is given. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Not eternal death, but eternal life. And that comes through Jesus Christ. Listen, the Bible and we'll not take the time to look at all the scriptures, but the Bible is so very clear about the difference between eternal death and eternal life. Eternal death is not something that God desires for mankind. He created hell for, for Satan and his demons. 
It is a place of torment, and it's a place of torture, and it's a place that is forever. It's, it's a place where, where we, the pain is, you never get used to it. There's never an end to it. And it's, hell is so bad that God sent his son for us. And the contrast between eternal death and eternal life could not be greater. It couldn't be greater. Again, I think one of Satan's tactics is to begin to make heaven look less heavenly. It's a place where everybody wears the same thing. It's a white robe and we're all floating around on clouds and it doesn't look all that exciting. But I'm telling you, in heaven, the Bible says that there's no more pain. There's no more tears. We will rule and reign. We have purpose and we have work there, but it's not labor and it's not oppressive. We we have uh, fellowship and friendship there. Listen, every good thing we have in this world is a fallen sinful example of what we will have in heaven. You know when you sit down at Christmas time, listen, for my family, it's Christmas morning and we're all wearing matching pajamas because we opened them the night before and my wife wants us to look good for pictures. It, yeah, we've been married for 29 years. I haven't looked good in Christmas pictures yet. You know, I'm like, oh, some assembly required my foot, you know, I mean. But man, what a great time Christmas morning is. Sit around there at my house, drinking coffee or orange juice. We've got cinnamon rolls there. We're opening presents and enjoying family and friends. And it's just, you know that moment when it's, when it's perfect? It's not perfect. It's still sinful. And that's just a precursor of what it's going to be like to fellowship in heaven. You know that meal that you sit down to and it's all of your favorites? And favorite dishes are interesting, right? Because even if they're favorites and even if they're good, sometimes they're just a little bit better than others. You know what I mean? Like I like to smoke brisket. And, 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 and I really enjoy it. And, and sometimes it can get a little too crispy. But my favorite part of the brisket is the burnt end. And when it is just right, where it's just got a little crunch to it on the outside, but it's juicy on the inside, and that smoke ring's in there. And anybody hungry? I mean, it's perfect. And it's like, it's like candy. It's great. And that's a precursor to when we sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we enjoy fellowship with God Almighty. Everything in this world that we recognize and we love is only a fallen version of what we will enjoy in heaven. But Satan seeks to to take that away from us. 
and say, oh, heaven's not that great and hell's not that bad. Listen, then why would God send Jesus Christ to die? That's a lie. That's a lie from the devil, and he is the father of lies. Ever how bad you think hell is, it's worse. And whatever vision of heaven that you can get, it's better. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wise men gave to Jesus myrrh because he was born to die. He died that we might live. And we need to turn to him. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's the promise of the Messiah and the promise of new life in him. Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 7 says, Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God desires to create in us a new heart, a new life, a new us. He didn't, he, he doesn't just come and, and give us a get out of hell card and say, okay, you're not going to spend eternity in hell. You will spend eternity in heaven. He does that for us, but he also creates in us a whole new us. And he works to make us in the image of Jesus. And so just a couple of things for us to have this new life in Christ. Number one, we got to recognize our sin. Paul would say this when writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul said this, of whom I am chief. He never forgot. Paul didn't say, listen, I have traveled the known world proclaiming the good news of Jesus. I am the apostle to all of the Gentiles. I have started churches. I'm the first missionary. Miracles have been done in my name. And God came to save sinners. No, he said, you know what? I could do none of those things outside of Jesus Christ in my life. Christ came to save sinners. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 40 says this, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Listen, we're not going to stand before God and say, well, God, I've been pretty good. We're sinners. Our only chance before a holy God is the, the covering of a holy sacrifice of Jesus. We need to ask God for forgiveness. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 8, it says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Romans 10 is very clear. It says that we confess Jesus is Lord, we believe in our hearts, and that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is what's required. Is for us to simply muster enough faith that we are not relying on ourselves, but we rely on the sacrifice of Jesus. Because we can't do it on our own. You might be here this morning and say, you know, preacher, I've tried to do good, but I just can't get it right. You know what? You're not going to get it right. You say, well, how's that good news? The good news is Jesus got it right for us. It's his righteousness, not ours. The good news is, yes, we have power through the Holy Spirit to overcome sin and temptation, but that only comes when we turn and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because we can't do it on our own. And so, my encouragement to you today is this. As the wise men came, they recognized Jesus as king with the gift of gold. They recognized him as Lord with the gift of frankincense. But they also recognized his sacrifice. That he is the Savior with the gift of myrrh. Have you received the gift of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness? Has there been a place and a time in your life when you've asked God to forgive you for the wrong things that you've done. You said, God, I can't do it on my own. Forgive me. Save me. I don't know. The words are not what's important. The Bible says that we, we confess with our mouths, but we believe in our heart. And whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you taken that step of faith today? You say, well, preacher, I've gone to church. Preacher, I've tried to read my Bible. Well, there's been times when I've tried to pray. No, have you called upon the name of the Lord to save you? Well, I'm better than somebody else. That's not the standard. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. It's interesting what Jesus said there, right? He said these people practice lawlessness. But it didn't seem like that was the description, right? He said they did good works in, their name, in, in the name of Jesus. They prophesied in the name of Jesus. But none of those good things we do matter unless we first receive the forgiveness of God. 
That is the start. Jesus described it this way in John chapter 3. He said you had to be born again. Now, I know that that term born again or born again Christian has all kinds of different uh, ideas in our society. But what Jesus was saying was this. There is a time in our lives when we're physically born. Now, for many of you, you might not remember it real well. But you were there. And you probably know when it happened and where it happened. Somebody told you or there's some paperwork somewhere. Even if you don't know those things, what you do know is it happened. But when we're physically born, we're born in sin. And we must be born again. We must be spiritually born. And it was the conversation with Nicodemus who was there with Joseph of Arimathea caring for the body of Jesus that Jesus said this in John chapter 3. And and Nicodemus said, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to enter my mother's womb again? Like, what are you talking about? And Jesus said, no, this is a spiritual birth. It is when we come to God and ask Him to forgive us and put our faith and trust in Him that we are born again. That He makes us a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. This is the gift of Jesus. This is what God has given to us. Will you receive that gift today? If you would, bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. The band's going to come and they're going to dismiss us here in a moment. But prior to that, I just want you in the quietness of this moment to consider your own spiritual condition. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been born again? (coughs) Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of the wrong things that you've done? Have you believed in Him for His holiness and His righteousness? Maybe right there in your seat this morning, if you're watching on the live stream right where you're at, maybe you just need to to ask God in your heart, say, Lord, forgive me. God, forgive me of my sin, of the wrong things that I've done. God, give me new life and eternal life. God, I put my faith, my trust in you. This morning, if if you've asked God to forgive you for the very first time, man, there is no, nothing that would, would make me happier, nothing that I could rejoice about more than just to, to talk with you about that. To rejoice with you and, and, and to give you some. Uh, some steps in your new walk with Christ. 
I'll be out in the lobby after the service, and I would love to talk with you more. Maybe you've got some questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be born again. Man, I would love to talk with you about those things. If you're watching this morning online, you can just message us or reach out to us through belmarchurch.com. We would love to talk to you about how to know Jesus Christ and walk with him. God, I pray that as we're reminded today of the idea that the fact that we are all sinners, we are all in need of a Savior, and it was the gift of myrrh that represents the salvation and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, if we know you today, I pray that we would just rejoice in all that we have in you. Lord, for somebody here today that does not know you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation, that today they would take that step of faith to cry out to you. And God, I pray that we would share that gift of Jesus with those we come into contact with in the days and the weeks to come. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.